Well, tonight we are in Exodus chapter 14. If you have the app, you can pull up the notes. If not, turn in your Bible to Exodus 14. And Lord, we ask now that by the power of your spirit, you'd give us ears to hear all that you are saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, last week we saw that the children of Israel were led out of Egypt, but God led them into a trap. You had Migdal and Piharihoth, mountain ranges on each side with the Red Sea in front of them, and they were trapped. And this was a part of God's plan. He made it clear that uh, he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and he was going to attack the children of Israel, and this was going to be their doom because he actually um, was going to destroy them and show the Egyptians that he was indeed the Lord God. But the children of Israel, they freaked out in verse 12. They said, oh, no, we, you know, we should have never started this process. We should have just stayed in Egypt. Moses should have never showed up. We should have never even thought the thoughts of being anything other than a slave. Uh, now that we think about it, it wasn't really that bad. <laughs> Just things staying as they were would have been so much better. But now God's going to let us die here in the wilderness. You know, isn't it just status quo? When God begins to touch the hearts of people, leading them unto salvation, this is a picture of a person being born again, if you would. Um, okay. And uh, pass that around there. And uh, everybody can get a look at that. Take a picture of it, memorize it. Um, and um, so that he, he immediately takes their little baby faith and he just starts stomping on it. You know, Jesus said that in, in, in Matthew 13, when the word of God goes out, it actually is like a seed. First, the seed, it, it, he says, it falls on the, on the street. It has no place to root and the birds come down and eat up the seeds. And Jesus explaining that in Matthew 13 actually says, that is Satan. He quickly eats the seeds up before it has a chance to do anything in the heart of the person. And then he says, the seed also falls on people and it's a thin soil. And immediately they rejoice, they're like, wow, I love Jesus, I love the gospel, I love salvation, this is the greatest thing. And, and, and then trials enter in, quite quickly, the Lord says. Quickly trials and tribulation happens because you're standing up saying, hey, I believe in Jesus, I'm born again. And they just get pounded. And he says they never get a root in themselves. They just stay in a thin soil and they never produce anything. And then the third one is where the seed falls amongst the thorns and it begins to come up and it looks like things are going to go well. But underneath the root system, the weeds are wrapping around it and they're being choked out and it's going to die. It's going to grow and keep growing, but it's not going to make it. It's going to get um, 
kill before it has a chance to produce. And this is, again, the world's influence of coming in and compromising and choking out. But only 25% chance, one out of four, falls in a good soil and actually grows and germinates. So most of the time when we share the Lord with people, the Bible says we're either watering or we're planting a seed or watering on that seed. It, it, it's very rarely does it come to a harvest. But even then, when the seed goes in and you're, wow, they're, they're coming to church and it's just for a short time. Or they're coming, but they quickly begin to compromise. Or they come, but then they get angry and like, oh, I wish you had never even told me about Jesus or took me to church or, man, I'm just, the whole thing of Christianity upsets me. And you're saying, man, this is so discouraging because I share the Lord with so many people and not that many people respond. And then those do respond. It seems like three quarters of the time, it never really takes. And I would say, yes, <laughs> that's exactly what the Bible tells us. And here we see that the people are beginning free. We, we know that God, by a mighty hand, brought Pharaoh to say, not only can you leave, but get out of here. And he said, before you go, ask all the Egyptian neighbors for their treasure. And they gave them all their gold and silver and fabrics. And, and they were leaving with the wealth of Egypt with them. And they're heading out thinking, wow, this is awesome. And, and there's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And God's with us. And, and all of a sudden, uh, we're all clogged up here. There's a mountain range, Migdal over there. There's another mountain range, Pyariath over there. And in front of us is the Red Sea. And, and they see none other than Pharaoh himself. And they can sense the heat and the fury of the Egyptians who just finally, after almost a year of plagues, now lost their firstborn, even reaching the house of Pharaoh himself. And these people are coming grieved and angry and mad at God and mad at these people because they woke up and they realized we don't have anybody to make breakfast. We don't have anybody to feed the cows. We don't have anybody to collect the trash. All our, our slaves did everything and they're gone and they realized it and they're going, oh, we're just so angry. And they're storming at them with every chariot Egypt has. Every horse that is left, they're riding upon it with hundreds of thousands of the elite soldiers of the world storming at them. And they're there and they're greatly afraid, the Bible says. Satan wants to stomp them out. And immediately they start complaining, going, oh, we're going to die here. And God's, God's horrible. Uh, he should have just left us alone rather than getting our hopes up and dragging us out here. And, uh, you know, the first uh, within a few days of, of getting out of slavery, we're now going to die under the hand of Pharaoh. And this is going to be worse than had we just died as a slave. And you say, man, those guys should have had more faith. <laughs> David talks about this in Psalms 106, verse 6 through 14. He, he's comparing Israel's faith and his own faith to that of them at this moment. And he says, it's not any better. We've all sinned, he said, just like our fathers. We've all committed iniquity. We've all done wickedly, just like our fathers. In verse 7 of Psalm, he 
said, Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. Remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, by the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he, God, saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up, and he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them in the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. With their enemies, there was not one of them left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And so we, we see David saying, yep, they, they didn't do very well. And he says, nor are we. And I think that we look here and we need to just say, God is testing our faith. God is leading us into the wilderness. 100% of the time, the enemy's coming after us. <laughs> He's got, God has literally taken the claws of Satan out of us and he's mad about losing one of us. He does not want the truth. He does not want the gospel. He does not want us to walk in the light. He wants us to walk in his truth, which is a lie. And he does not want us to obey and worship God. He wants us to worship him as if he were God or equal to God. And, and we just have to realize that G Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. There's something wrong. <laughs> because those who are in step with the devil should, by definition, be mad at you that you're out of step now with the devil. You're marching now to a different drum. You're no longer walking in darkness. You're walking in the light. And so this is always going to be the picture and so you, you say, well, man, I came to Christ because I wanted things to be better. I'm telling you what, God never said that. God nowhere in the Bible says, get born again, and after that, things are going to be better. He didn't ever say that. I, I know people say that. The Lord said, come unto me, but in this world, you're going to have tribulation. <laughs> come unto me and follow me, but just let you know, they hated me. They're going to hate you. I, I'm the son of God in human flesh. And they called me Bezabal. And they, they called me a glutton, a drunkard. They accused me of being demon possessed. Believe me, they're going to do far worse with you. They are going to hate you. They're going to put you out of the synagogues and the churches thinking they're doing God, God's will and, and treating you horribly. And, and I, I don't want you to be stumbled, Jesus says. When these things happen. And so here we, we see the children of Israel going exactly through what all of us go through. Satan trying to neutralize us, saying, if you'll stop, I'll back off. If you will not be all on fire as a Christian and just chill out, I'll chill out with my attack against you. If you're not fruitful... I won't cause your life to be miserable. And uh, it's a scary place when we get to that place of compromise, even to the point where the devil lets us have the pleasures of this world to stay compromised, like the church of Laodicea. 
They thought, man, God's blessing with us because we're wealthy. God's blessing with us because everything's going so well for us. And he said, no, no, you're, you don't see, you're blind. You're not clothed in righteousness, you're naked. And, and actually the, the church is thinking it's so blessed, but you're so compromised, you make me want to vomit, Jesus said. Heavy, heavy words. And so we, we've got to understand that if we're following the Lord, we're following the will of God, like the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, we're walking in the spirit. Well, what's that look like? Well, you sort of glide. You got this little aura around you. You know, even whatever color you wear looks a little brighter. You know, everybody's happy with you. Everybody smiles at you. You know, that's not the way it is, guys. Coming to Christ means you start getting shot at, grenades blowing up. He doesn't take us through a walk in the garden. We are on the battlefield. <coughs> and here we see this. And Moses says, don't be afraid. Watch, you're going to see the salvation of the Lord. And uh, Moses then cries out and says, what's going on? And God says, quit crying out and start going forward. And Moses lifted up his rod. And as he did, um, a pillar of cloud that was with the children of Israel became darkness, a big, a big fog over the Egyptians. They couldn't see where they were going or what's happening. But it, it was a light to the children of Israel. And they could see perfectly. And in verse 21 here tonight, it says in Exodus 14, 21, when Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, not muddy, soggy, on dry ground. And the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on to the left. You can just see some little kid walking up to it going, whoa, Whoa, I, you know, I don't think they'd ever seen glass at that point, um, a clear glass. So I, I don't know what it would have been, but it would have been very, very cool. Uh, you know, seeing the fish swim around in there. Or, um, I don't know what it would have been like. It would have been amazing. Now, as you look at the Red Sea, there are a number of different ways the children of Israel could have went. The historical tradition ways, if you look at it, it's, it's like a finger coming out. You got the, uh, the, the Red Sea, and you have one, one leg is the Suez. And for many years, that was where they thought the children of Israel. But then there's another one, which is Aqaba. And they believe there's a good argument that that could be the case. It just sort of depends on where the Lord led him out, whether it was over in Sinai in Arabia or a Sinai um, outside of Egypt. But either way, we don't, we don't know, but it would have been an amazing thing. In a minute it says, the children of Israel, they look down into, they look down to the Egyptians being destroyed. So uh, either way, it was a deep ravine they had to walk through um, down the hill and up out of the, the sea. And uh, it, is, it does tell us it was by faith that they did this. In Hebrews eleven twenty nine. it says, by faith they did this. So it would have been a pretty intimidating thing, you know? 
to be walking with a giant wall of water, probably many, many, many stories high. And, uh, and there's a lane cut through it. Of course, there was 600,000 men, 20 years and older at this point, and we know most of the boys had been killed by the Egyptians over the last several uh, decades. So we, we really don't know how many women and children there would have been, but doing the math, there's always more women and children but especially since the, the boys had been being killed off, there would have been a lot more girl than, than boys in the Hebrews at this time. And um, so you can easily say two million, but probably closer to three million people in one night are walking across. So that would have been a pretty big hole that the Lord made for everybody to walk through. But notice here, guys, he didn't take them out of it. He took them through it. And this is just another very important lesson. That God is not going to snatch us out of the fiery trials we go through. But he is going to hold our hand and get us through them. Boy, if you don't know this passage in Isaiah 43, verse 1 through 5 there, you, you should really memorize this and put this deep into your heart. But Isaiah 43, verse 1, it says, But now thus says, who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, I love this, O Israel. <laughs> We're born in this world of Jacob, the sneaky hill catcher thief, but God's forming us into being Israel, one governed by God. He says in Isaiah 43, 1, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. That's the word, to buy you out of slavery. I have called you by your name, Listen to this. You are mine. You pass through the waters. I will be with you. The rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom. Ethiopian Ziba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. There give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. And then he talks about how he's going to gather them for the four corners of the world and bring them back to be a nation again, which has happened in 1948. But, um, here we just see the Lord saying, I have no intentions of taking you out of the waters, out of the flood plain, out of the fires, but I have every intention to get you through it from one side to the other. And that's exactly what the Lord did. Well, in verse 23, then the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea and all the Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud, and it troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for men against the Egyptians. And so we see they came with all their weapons, their chariots, their horses, their swords, they had everything to destroy these people, but not one weapon formed against them prospered. 
I love that in Isaiah 54, 17. The Lord says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue which raises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is says the Lord. The Bible says that all the promises of God are yea and amen to you. So if God's promise to Israel was no weapons formed against it, you will you are the servants of the Lord. Yes, that's true for you. And Romans 15, 4, again, it says, All these things were written beforehand for that through the patience and comfort of scriptures, we might have hope. All of these stories are for us after the cross of Christ. Well, in verse 26, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, and on their chariots and on the horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to full depth, while Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. Every one of them coming to curse the lineage of Abraham was cursed themselves. Not one of them left. That's ultimately going to be the truth of the history of, of man. Well, in verse 29, so the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. So it says it twice here, so it must have been a pretty amazing point. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord. And believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So it happened as the Lord had said it would. And uh, now they, they understand. Wow. Things that look like they're failing. God has a plan. They saw that when Pharaoh's heart kept getting hard. He won't let the people go. And they're like, leave us alone, Moses. You're making it harder on us. And, uh, and Moses stayed in there and kept leading things, even though he was crying out to God, going, God, you're making it harder on them. Uh, save them or don't save them, but don't just drag this thing out. But the Lord had every intentions of doing it in his timing and his way to, to make his name, his nature known to the children of Israel and to the Egyptians. But now they come to the other side. And guys, here's the first time in the Bible where there is a song. So when you have the first time something appears in the Bible, you really need to take note. Now this is interesting because the first song in the Bible is the song of Moses. And it is sung about their deliverance from the hand of Egypt. The last song in the Bible, interesting enough, in Revelation 15 is also a song of Moses. And uh, it's, it's where they made it through the tribulation period, the Jews, and they didn't take the mark of the beast. And it says that there, that over the beast, God has won. Over those who they, they resisted the tribulation of, of not giving in to the Antichrist system. And there in Revelation 15, there's the final song in the Bible, which also 
is the song of Moses. But Moses, this 80-year-old guy, begins to sing this song. And notice he's singing this to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider has been thrown into the sea. That's the song we just sang tonight. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. We just sang that. We'll sing it again later, I think. And um, it goes on to say here, the Lord, this is again the word Yahweh. It's only four consonants, really unpronounceable. But they believed the actual holy name of God could not be written. So they simply wrote four consonants. We transliterate it YHWH or YHVH. This is the holy name of God. We say Yah or Yahweh. Some wrongly pronounce it Jehovah. Um, it comes out of a, I'm not going to get into it. But either way, Yah is my strength and my strong. Yah is, he has become my salvation. Notice these things. It doesn't say the Lord's making me strong. The Lord is helping me get saved. It says the Lord is. You'll find this in the New Testament. Jesus has become for us justification, sanctification, redemption, our wisdom. And here it is saying, Yahshua. God has become our salvation. They would have been singing, Yah, the strength and song, Yahshua, Yahshua. It's the name Joshua. We pronounce it in the Greek, Jesus. <laughs> Interesting, they would have been shouting, if you would, Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. He's the one who brought us out of bondage. He's my God. I will praise him. My father is God, and I will exalt him. And then the Lord, a man of war, the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots, his armies, he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths are covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemies in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like the lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in uh, holiness, fearful in praise, doing wonders? You searched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth your people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them into your strength, to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab trembling will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. 
You will bring them and to plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. The horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went out on dry land in the midst of the sea. Just as Moses believed and prophesied, here's exactly what happened. A matter of fact, it would take the children of Israel almost 40 years to get to the promised land, and they were still trembling. Remember when they came to Jericho, Rahab told them, they said, they heard about what God did to the Egyptians as if it were yesterday. And all their hearts, she said, all the people of Jericho, their hearts have already melted within them. And, uh, and as they went into the promised land, that's exactly what happened. The people were absolutely terrified. So picture if you would, the number one greatest nation, really an empire, on the known earth of that time. Great buildings, great sciences. They had agriculture systems. They, they had uh, the elite of the world. Remember when Joseph had brought in the seven years of plenty and brought all the extra spoils in and then the whole earth went through a famine and they brought all of their money and gave it to Pharaoh, gave it to Egypt just to have enough food to try to survive on until the end of the famine. Well, Egypt became an incredibly prosperous nation. And imagine, you know, everything you're thinking, oh, well, I'll go to Egypt and see if they have it there. I'll go to Egypt to find a good doctor. I'll go up to Egypt to, to, to find that silk or to go find the craftsmanship, you know, all the, the mind and the powers of the world, the economic system was all around Egypt and people from all the world would, you know, come in, in and out of Egypt. And all of a sudden now they're like, where are you going? Oh, I'm going up to Egypt. There's nothing left. <laughs> that place has been decimated by hell and by fire and by locusts. And, uh, it's a ghost town now. You used to have millions of those Hebrew slaves. Not one of them is left. There used to be mighty men. They're all gone. There's a handful of, of people left that were too old to be soldiers. Our little kids and women, that's all that's there. There's nobody to take care of the buildings. They're getting run down. There's no one to run the water systems that once uh, carried all the water to there. It's, it's now basically a, a shadow of what it once was. You're kidding. How, how, how could Egypt of all places end up being a nothing? Well, let me tell you the story. <laughs> and now, here they come. Those same people that decimated, well, their God decimated the Egyptians. Who are we? <laughs> we know the Egyptians were. They were the mightiest. And not one of them were left. Not one chariot. Not one horse for military use. Not one soldier left. Who can stand against that God? 
And Moses said, think of the genius of God. He created this situation. Interesting, later Solomon in the Proverbs would write, the king's heart is in the hand of God. He turns it like a river, whichever way he desires. That's a humbling thing. And then to, says in the psalm, exaltation doesn't come from the north or the south or the east. Exaltation comes from the Lord. He raises one up and he can bring one down. Boy, can he bring them down, down. <laughs> to the bottom of the Red Sea, he can bring them down. Nebuchadnezzar later, who had the greatest empires that the earth would ever know, the Babylonian Empire. When he stood up looking at all the great vast Babylon and all its wealth, he said, look at all that I have done. And while the words were in his mouth, he became like an animal for seven years. His fingers grew like the claws of a bird. His hair grew like the feathers of a bird. He ate grass like a cow. And after seven years, his sanity came back. And he just said, I have learned <laughs> there is one king, and that's God. There is one empire that will last forever, and that's God's. And as for man, there's nobody that God can't humble quickly. And I will extol and worship and honor him and him only. Boy, it's a, it's a heavy thing when you, you realize here's Pharaoh who's convinced all the Egyptians and convinced all the Hebrews he's God. And all the world are questioning it going, man, I don't know. Those Egyptians and boy, they got sorcerers that can do amazing things. He got a couple of Janis and Jamborees right next to him. Then those guys can do miracles it seems like only God can do. Powerful, powerful magic there. Powerful things. You don't want to mess with the king of Egypt. There's none like him. And now Moses is the same. God brought him down in such a way that will be proclaimed until the very end of human history. It will always stand as one of the great stories. Wherever you go in the world, you will find this story is known. Whatever religion, they know about this story. Whether they believe it or not, whether they say it's the Reed Sea and it was just a shallow little swamp or whatever they want to go through, the fact is, is this story is proclaimed that God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is known that he indeed with the mighty hand delivered the children of Israel out of bondage. Well, then Miriam, Moses' oldest older sister starts singing as well now understand Moses was a little baby remember back in chapter 2 and his older sister was ordered to go put him into the Nile in a basket and keep an eye on him and when Pharaoh's daughter saw him she runs over and says hey want me to go get a nurse for you to take care of that baby yeah go get Moses's mother her, her mother so how old was she I mean, I, kids, kids amaze me what they do at eight years old or 10 years old. Sometimes I'll say, how old are you again? It's like, oh, I'm 10 years old. You're kidding. I wasn't that mature until I was 35, you know? And uh, so, I, 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 you know, kids, kids amaze me. So I, I don't know, you know, whether she was eight or 15. But Moses, remember, is 80. We know that. 
So let's say she was 10. She's at least 90, probably in her 90s at this time. And she gets happy feet, grabs a tambourine, and God's spirit is upon her too. She's a prophetess. Moses is a prophet. Aaron, his brother, now is a prophet. Later, the priestly lineage would be through the tribe of Aaron. And Miriam is a prophetess. God's spirit is on this family powerfully. They, they had the faith of their parents. Remember it says, by faith, Moses' parents, not fearing the wrath of the king, took Moses and, and hid him. They walked by faith. And this faith is now instilled in their children. And so she took the, the, the tremble, the, the tambourine there in her hand, and all the women went out after her with the trembles and with dancing. I don't know how many women this would have been, but there were 600,000 men 20 years and older. <laughs> and you don't have to be 20 years old to go out and sing and dance. So, I mean, it, you could probably say there's a million women out there uh, enjoying an end, dancing around. So just imagine millions of people uh, out there in the desert and you've got all of these women now, you know, doing their tambourines and going, la, 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 la. I don't know what they do. Um, it, it always puts chills up my back when the, I hear that on the Arab thing. But anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a rejoicing over there in the Eastern world. And uh, Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider has thrown into the sea. You know the only thing that would have been better about Miriam's song? Is if it had been sung on the other side of the Red Sea. Isn't that really faith? Isn't faith like Moses saying, guys, stand still, quit crying out, quit saying you wish you had stayed in Egypt as a slave, you were better off, ridiculous, shut up, stand still, God's going to deliver you. He was proclaiming it. And then God said, go forward, Moses, pull your rod out, you know, and God did it. But Miriam, she's all singing and rejoicing, but on the other side, she was murmuring and complaining too. You see, faith, guys, is not rejoicing after God does it. <laughs> I remember years ago, Chuck telling that story where in the early days of the ministry, he had no money and there was no money coming in. And, and uh, his wife says, what are we going to eat tonight? And he's like, I don't really know. And, uh, and there he went to the post office and checked the mail, and there wasn't any mail there. And uh, he gets a phone call from a guy who says, Hey, Chuck, you remember that money I had promised a while back? You should be getting it in the mail later today. And Chuck had all morning long worried and fretted and, and, and didn't, you know, was trying to say, God help, and distressed and stressing out about it. And then he gets a phone call, and he's dancing with his wife in the kitchen and saying, Lord, thank you. And then the Lord just convicted him. Didn't I speak to you in the word that I was going to provide for you? I didn't see you singing and dancing with your wife in the kitchen after, if you would, I called you. <laughs> But here's a man, a man is not as faithful as God, a man who doesn't have the same provisions that God has. And 
You don't have a check in your hand. You don't have some cash in your hand. All you have is his word. He spoke to you on a phone and you have greater joy in his word than you do in mine. And Chuck remembered that. And years later, after they had bought in the property where Calvary Costa Mesa is built, he would come up to the corner, be driving up to the corner and, and going, what are we doing here? We can't even afford to buy the property, more or less, to build a building there. And he would be stressing and stressing. He would get to that corner, looking over at that giant piece of property. And he remembered that story. And he just started thanking the Lord and praising him. And, and then driving away from the property, he was just thanking God for what, how God was going to do it. And, uh, and the Lord did it in some amazing ways. Don't have time to tell that story. But remember that. It's, it's wonderful and joyful that they're, they saw that God did it and they're praising God for it. But we would all be much more impressed. And I think the praise would have been much sweeter had they said, guys, I know it looks like we're getting ready to die by the hand of the Egyptians, but God's been doing miracles these last nine months. He has done everything he said he was going to do. And I don't know how we're getting out of this, but let's just start thanking him right now. That's faith. As a matter of fact, it tells us in Hebrews 11, 1, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things, what? Not seen. It goes on to tell us in Hebrews eleven thirteen, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. Abraham just saw one son of Isaac. He didn't see the kids as many as the stars as the heavens, but having seen them afar off, were assured them. I love these words. Embrace them and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Boy, here's a good one for us in Philippians 4, 6. If you're between Migdal and Bayarihoth and the Red Sea is in front of you and here comes some threatening thing pounding you, Philippians 4, 6, right? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, period. Is that the end of that verse? What's it say? With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. See, that's the key. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. God, I thank you in advance for that provision. Lord, I thank you in advance that you are going to do it. Now, later in Hebrews, it says, by faith, they were saved from the sword. A couple of verses later, it says, by faith, they died from the sword. By faith, women received their dead children back to life again. Other women, by faith, saw their child or their husband put to death for the faith. Stephen, by faith, was stoned to death and saw the Lord at the right hand of the Father and died being the first Christian martyr. By faith, Peter was released from prison by an angel and went on preaching for some years. It can look either way on this earth, but God is in it. And by faith, whether we see the promise or don't see the promise, we can be assured that God is at work doing the best. Do, do we get this, guys? 
God is never giving us second best. So the next time you look at that mirror and you're going, oh man, maybe plastic surgery is the way to go. Just, just realized that God didn't give you second best. He knows exactly what he's doing. I remember Hudson Taylor, who eventually went to China and went first missionary to go inland into a country. When he was in medical school, the Lord had put on his heart to, to begin to fast and pray. And, and he didn't have really any money anyway, so... He was eating very, very little, just bread and water. And, and this went on for weeks and weeks. Well, a horrible disease came through London. And many of the surgeons got it and died. And he himself got this sickness. And he was horribly ill in the hospital. And the doctor came from out of town and looked at this and was trying to help him. He said, the only people that survive this are very, very poor people, interesting enough, who have been so poor, all they can eat is bread and drink water. And they are surviving. And Hudson Taylor said, that's all I've had money for, and I've just been trusting the Lord. And, I, and, and, and he survived. So there was a point where he's like, God, why am I so poor? Why am I having to live on this little bit of food. But then the Lord showed him, hey, there's no coincidences here. God's got this in control. Well, we're going to end there tonight, but next week we'll pick up in uh, verse 22 as God leads them immediately into another time of testing. Well, Lord, thank you for your word here tonight. And Lord, encourage our hearts to, to have faith in you above all else, to trust that who you are, you said you would do it, you are going to do it. And we put our faith in you and our trust in you now that you have a plan, no matter what difficulty we're in or in the future, that you, God, are in control, that you are our shepherd, that you know every hair upon our head, that as David would say in the Psalm 139, you've hedged us in behind and before. You've got us hedged all around under your protection. The shadow of your wing is over us. The eye of the Lord is upon us. Your hand is upon us. Your angels are round about us, keeping watch over us. But that we do not need to be greatly afraid that we can start rejoicing in your salvation, where that salvation means to breathe our last and to go to be with you, or the salvation is to see a mighty miracle performed before us. We trust, Lord, that you are working all things out according to the riches of your glory. And we just rejoice in advance that you are doing it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.